Father in heaven, so glad that you are here with us. Father, your presence that just means everything to us. Everything. So knowing that you are in any gathering that just has at least two of your children is, well, it's powerful. So this morning, we thank you. We thank you for your presence. Lord, we're going to be looking at something that most of us don't ever pay attention to and some even overlook. Others might try to deny. So I pray that you will open our eyes so that we can see truth and realize something about you that maybe we have never seen before. If we have, I pray that we will see it much clearer today. And then, Lord, I pray that none of us, not one of us, will ever forget it. I'm asking that in Jesus' name and with great faith. Amen. My father turned 82 this year, 82 years old, kind of hard to wrap my head around, but he turned 82. When he was 17 years old, he graduated from high school and he left the farm in Diamond Springs, Kansas and moved to Wichita where his mom and dad and brother had already moved to. It was dad's responsibility to close down the farm and then join them there. So he sold off the last of the stock and asked a neighbor to take care of his old dog for him and then dad moved to Wichita and he never farmed again. Today he owns that farm, but he doesn't turn the dirt on it. It's leased out to somebody else. When he moved to Wichita, he went into the other family business. He started welding. My grandfather was quite an accomplished welder and had family members that owned a welding company there. And so it just made sense that my uncle and my dad would follow suit. Well, not long after dad got to Wichita, he got an invitation from the United States Army to join them for a little while. And he did. Most of his time was spent in Germany. When he came back from Germany, and it was right at the, the front end of the Vietnam War, when dad came back from Germany, he went back to welding, and he knew that, that that was not a career path that he wanted to stay on. Nothing wrong with it. It's honorable profession. Dad just knew that he didn't want to do that for the rest of his working life. So he signed up for some night classes, wanted to become an electrical engineer. And so working all day long, he'd go to school at night and study as hard as he could. When he finished the first section of that program, he got a call from an oil company in Oklahoma. He was living in Kansas at the time. Got a call from an oil company in Oklahoma, and they asked him if he'd be interested in joining them as an electrician out in the oil field. Dad said he would. So he moved his young family to Oklahoma, where Dad started working on oil wells. And that began a career that he absolutely loved in the oil world. He climbed up through the ranks until he became a vice president of the company that he eventually retired from. In the mid-1990s, when he retired, there was a career change ahead for him. He opened up a construction business in Kansas City, Kansas. He had moved back to Kansas following the oil trade. So he was in Kansas City when he opened his construction business, and he did quite well at that, just like he did in the oil business. It wasn't a surprise to any of us. Dad worked hard at everything he did, always. I don't remember my father ever taking a sick day. Cannot remember for the life of me, Dad ever being sick one day, not one that he stayed home from work. On the weekends, 
He would work hard at building a house that was our home so that we would have a nice place to live, and and we always did. Dad ensured that that would be the case. When my brother and I were approaching graduation from high school and looking at our own career paths, Dad wanted to make sure that we had every opportunity available to us. And in the late 1980s, that meant going to college. During those days, that was, that was very, very important. And it was very important to my father because he had climbed up through the ranks of that oil company, but it was harder for him because he didn't have a college education. So he had to do some other things and work a little bit harder than those that did. So dad wanted to make sure that Rick and I both had the opportunity to go to college and he didn't want it to be a burden to us. So dad worked hard to ensure that we would have the ability to do that. And both of us followed what he wanted for us, not the path that he wanted, because to be quite honest, my dad never wanted both of his sons in ministry, and we both are. And so that was an interesting thing. Dad was an elder at the church, and he saw some of the difficulties of it. And so he didn't want that for either one of us, but both of us are. Dad made sure that we could do that by providing an education for us. While he was doing that, he was also making plans for he and my mother in retirement so that when the time came, they would be well taken care of. And dad made sure that that was the case. Mom only got to enjoy that for about five years, but dad is still living under the trees that he planted in that regard. And I'm glad he is. And he has the privilege of being able to do the things that he enjoys doing. Well, in 2005, dad turned 65 and my brother and I wanted him to know that we saw everything that he had done for us. We wanted him to know that we had been paying attention all those years. So when he retired from his own business, there wasn't going to be a gold watch for him. There wasn't going to be a cake or anything along those lines. He was self-employed and the only employee of that business. So we wanted to celebrate him. He was living in Kansas City, and so we put him on a plane, and my brother joined him, and we flew him to Washington. We took Dad on a pheasant hunting trip, and some guys from this church came with us, and Dad still talks about that pheasant hunt. He likes to chase birds as much as I do. In fact, that's kind of where I got it. And so we took Dad on this pheasant hunt. He still talks about it today. He loved it. And then Rick and I brought him back to Montana for a week, and we just did the things that Dad wanted to do. Whatever he wanted to do, that's what we did. Our sole purpose in that week, from the pheasant hunt all the way through the hiking and the different experiences that we had, was to applaud our father and say, hey, we watched, and we saw, and we know, and we appreciate, and we want you to know that we have done all those things. Thank you. For what you have done for us. We just wanted to thank him for a 40 plus year work life, one that he took very seriously and one that has paid off over and over and over and over again for us and for our families. We celebrated him. So glad we did because dad still talks about that. So glad we did because Rick and I still talk about that time with him. There is something special about knowing that people are watching. Something special about knowing that people are celebrating the things that we do. For the longest time, for me, it was celebrating the things of my dad. But let me tell you, today I, I get to shift gears a little bit. I still celebrate my dad all the time. He's my hero. But today I get to celebrate my children, my adult children. All three of them are grown up. 
and it is fun to celebrate everything they do. Our oldest son, he's the cowboy. He's actually sitting up here by his mother. He's, he's here in town cowboying right now. I got to do some of that with him yesterday. That was fun. Smashed my hand in a squeeze chute with him. That was a blast. <clears throat> so uh, Nick is sitting here uh, at doing what he loves to do. Eight years ago, he told us that he wanted to be a cowboy. And we said, well, that's cool if you can make a living doing it. And he did. He became a cowboy and he made a living at it. Not too far into it, he realized that he didn't just want to be a cowboy, he wanted to be a cattleman. Wanted to own his own cows and run his own cows. And he's doing it. He's doing it. Our oldest son, if he can dream it, he can do it. And I'm always standing in the shadows applauding him, clapping for him and celebrating over his victories and the things that he does. One of the great joys in my life today is to sit up late at night and listen to Nick as he dreams and tells me about his next step because all I have to do is wonder when it's going to happen because like I said, if he can dream it, he can do it and I love to celebrate him. Eli is our youngest son. A few years ago, he set his sights on being a, a law enforcement officer and he chased that dream. And in the process of it, he found a career that he really enjoyed, but the politics of law enforcement today is anything but enjoyable. It is anything but enjoyable. So Eli has stepped away from that. He is recently married, and he and his wife are dreaming big dreams together today, and we're excited about that. We encouraged them to dream together, and they started dreaming. And now they have some big ones sitting in front of them that will require great sacrifices, and they're making those sacrifices and we're standing in the shadows applauding them. We're right behind them saying, you can pull this off. You can do it. And we are excited to see every step of the way, how it happens and how it unfolds. And they know this, we'll be applauding them. We will be clapping for them and celebrating them. Our daughter, Katie, lives in Texas. She lives in Texas. It's a long ways from Montana. But she is teaching kids to love Jesus and ride horses. It's a unique combination that she dreamed of. Seven days after she verbalized that dream, she got to move into it. Teaching kids to love Jesus and ride horses. Who pulls that off? She met a young man in Texas that loves the Lord just like she does and loves God's kingdom just like she does. And together they are leaving a pretty big, unique kingdom footprint. And we are celebrating them every step of the way. Love to do that for our children. And we love that they know that we are right behind them saying, you go, you, you can do this. And they all are, each one of them. And it's a blast. It's a blast. I was sitting at my computer this past week in my office and I did something that I do every few years. I just started making a list of things that I love. And I, I say that I do it every few years because I like to see how it changes. So here's my process as I do that. I will sit at my computer and I'll just start writing everything that comes to mind. My goal is always to come up with 25 things, 25 things that I love. And I like to do it every few years because it changes. It's not always the same. The things that I would put on that list today are different than the things that were on that list, say, five years ago or 10 years ago. Some of them are immutable. They never change, but a lot of them do. So let me share with you my list, 25 things that I love. 
And then encourage you to do the same thing. Now you have to do it fast. Don't think about it too long. If you think about it too long, you will overthink it and it won't be honest. So if you'll just start writing with your goal of being 25 and maybe that's too much for you at first, maybe you need to do 10 or maybe you need to do 15, you set a goal and you go for it and you write as fast as you can and they will come to you quickly. As they come to you quickly, then you'll be able to step back from it and say, that's an honest list. So that's why you have to do it fast don't overthink it because then you'll lose the purity of it. 25 things that I love. This is my list. I love God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. I love the wife of my youth and our continued adventures together. I love Libby Christian Church and those who make her up. Parents that raised me in the Lord. Warm days in the field with a black lab and good friends. Cold days on the water with a black lab and good friends. Sitting a horse in the snow, the sound of creaking leather on a quiet trail, peanut butter sandwiches by a mountain lake, conversations by a fire, long road trips, watching Tina explore a new zoo, it's its own story, Diamond Springs, Kansas, all four seasons on the Kootenai River, Pipe Creek just as she begins to freeze, busy and productive days, a barn full of hay, sunset over a beach, wheat blowing in the wind, books I can't put down, Playlist I get lost in, bacon cheeseburgers that build a memory, and watching my children as they reach for their dreams. 25 things I love. You come up with your own. That last one, though, watching my children as they reach for their dreams, it's kind of unique. It seems to speak of how God sees us. He has that same characteristic. Now, let me show you why I believe that is a God-given characteristic. In fact, I look at my whole list of 25 and I think all of them are gifts from the Lord, but that last one, watching my children as they reach for their dreams, I believe it's God-given for a specific reason. Join me in the first book of the Bible, first chapter of the first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter one, verse 26. Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, if you've read the Bible, you've probably started in the book of Genesis. You probably got through Genesis chapter 1. It's about Genesis chapter 11, when most people that have set their sights on reading the Bible from beginning to end, it's about chapter 11, where most people bail out. Some of the really stalwart people that just keep going get to Leviticus, and that's their stopping point. Now, other people know that, that you have to mix it up a little bit when you're reading the Bible. Cover to cover is a difficult reading plan, though a good one, but it is a difficult one. So most people know that they have to mix that up. But most everybody that has set their sights on reading the Bible have gotten through Genesis chapter 1. And so you've heard this truth that we are created in the image of God. Now, when you start peeling away the layers of that onion, you will discover very quickly that there are a lot of similarities between us and God. Now, I'm going to put up on the screen for you the truth that is coming out of Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, so that you can see it with your own eyes and maybe it'll burn into your brain. Here it is. 
We are created in the image of God. Now, take a close look at some of the similarities. We can reason, we can feel, we can communicate through speech just like God does. We can create, we can imagine, we hurt deeply, we have joy, we understand humor. I like that one about God. And like God, we have a unique spirit. We are created in his image. Now, if you take all of those things and you wrap them together with this wonderful truth that we can celebrate our children as they reach for their dreams and you recognize that God does the same with us, he celebrates his children as we reach for our dreams, you will very quickly realize that as you walk through this life, taking all of your unique talents, abilities, your creativity and your imagination and you tie it together with that ability to celebrate other people, you are in essence a walking billboard that shows God to every person that sees you. You are created in the image of God. And so it shouldn't surprise any of us that God celebrates his children the same way parents celebrate our children. God is there cheering us on. God is there supporting us. God is there lifting our arms up and helping us succeed in everything we do. There is a wrestling match for a lot of people to accept that. Because theologically, we live in a global community that doesn't necessarily accept that truth. We live around a lot of people who will tell us that they believe in God. They even believe in God the Creator. But that's where it ends. They do not believe that God is actively interested or involved in our lives. Now that's true as I say that we live around people like that, but that is a global mindset. And theologically, it has a title. It is referred to as deists. People that believe that way are deists. Now I want to show you a, a working definition of deism so that you will understand it. Here it is. Deism is the belief in the existence of a supreme being, specifically of a creator who does not intervene in the universe. The way I boil that down to explain deism is this. People believe in God that he created us and then he went on vacation and he, he hasn't come back yet. He's not involved. He's not around. He doesn't care. He isn't watching. He is just distant. They believe in a distant, unattached God. You'll hear people say on a pretty regular basis, I believe in God. They'll even go so far as to say when you push a little bit further about what they believe, that they believe that God created the world. They believe that God created us. But that's where it stops. You have to push on past that to see exactly what it is they believe. And I don't know an exact percentage, but I would offer that a majority of people will stop right here. They are deists. I prefer the company, and I hope you do too, of people known as theists. Here it is up on the screen. Theists. Now, here's a good working definition of that as well. Theism. It's the belief in the existence of a god or gods 
especially belief in one God as creator of the universe, intervening in it and sustaining a personal relationship to his creatures, those that he created. Theists. Theists. By the way, in the United States of America, when you hear that we are a Christian nation and many of our founding fathers were Christian, most of them were deist. Most of them were deist. They did not believe in the intervention of God in our lives. Not all of them, but most of them. Today, as we study the Bible, it is very, very plain that theism is a lot more accurate. Let me show you some scripture that helps explain why I reject deism and why you should as well. We'll start in a unique place, 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. In fact, for the next several weeks, we're going to be really centered in this passage. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. The Bible says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Now, if you're a highlighter and underliner, I want to encourage you to make that passage stand out in your Bible. In fact, I've done both. I've highlighted it and underlined it. Listen again. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Love that verse. Now, if you need more proof than just that passage for why theism trumps deism, if you need further proof that God is involved in the lives of his children, then just turn to the Psalms. That's all you have to do. You can go to places like Psalm chapter 33 and pick up in verse 18. Psalm 33, verse 18. The psalmist says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. There's other places in the Psalms that drive this whole point home, like Psalm chapter 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. Listen to this. A very present help in trouble. For the, the deist, that simple little verse debunks their entire belief system. Listen again. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. I know you've heard these words before. This is the 23rd Psalm. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There is not one part, not one part of the 23rd Psalm that would indicate that God is not actively involved in our lives, the lives of his children. Not one part that would give any validity to the deist point of view. 
But you may be saying, that's all Old Testament, Phil. What about the New? Does the New give us any kind of indication? Oh boy, does it. The New Testament is full. It is full of theism teaching that God is the only God, that he is the creator of everything around us, and that he is actively involved in the lives of his children. We do not have enough time to go from Matthew to Revelation looking at all of the places that validate, (laughs) there we go, that validate that belief. So let me show you just one. It's found in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. God is actively involved in our lives. Now once you wrap your brain around that, once you understand that truth, you can dive deep into this teaching, into a theistic belief that God not only created the universe and created me and is actively involved in my life, but he celebrates. He celebrates for the things that happen in my life. He is, in effect, my biggest fan. God is my biggest fan. And he loves to celebrate his children as we reach for our dreams. Now, I don't want you to just accept that from me. I want you to believe it from the Bible. So we're going to go to the Old Testament again, to the book of Zephaniah. Now, I know that you might have trouble finding Zephaniah. It's not an often read book in the Bible. And so it's real easy. Just go to Haggai and turn left. You'll have it. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. Oh, this is a passage of scripture that ought to just give you goosebumps. It really should. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. In essence, The old prophet Zephaniah is telling us that God is there applauding for us, celebrating for us the things that happen in our lives. That's how involved he is. He's orchestrating a lot of it, but he is celebrating for us the things that happen in our lives, the victories that we find. I I love the whole process that Zephaniah lays out. He is mighty to save And then it just continues on and you can see the depth of teaching in there. There's at least three different stops in Zephaniah showing us how God celebrates us. Look at it again. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love, but he will exult over you with loud singing. God celebrates his children. He celebrates his children. Now, I want you to think about what that looks like. There's a, a lot of different ways to illustrate it. I already have a bit with my own children, but let me give you another illustration. Years ago, when Tina and I were serving as youth minister, or in youth ministry in Colorado, we had a young man in our youth group. We were just telling this story the other night. Hadn't thought about it in a long time. His name's Jake Spencer. Jake's dad, Mike, who just just went to be with the Lord, was a PRCA bullfighter. That means he was the clown 
out in the middle of the arena that was helping keep the bull riders safe. And Mike was quite accomplished at it. In fact, he was a champion bullfighter. Mike was the president of Fellowship of Christian Cowboys, one of the founders of Fellowship of Christian Cowboys that is located in Colorado Springs today. So that gives you just a little bit of insight into who he was. He taught his son Jake to fight bulls. Jake was out in the arena for the first time in clown makeup when he was four years old. Before that, he was in the makeup with his dad, but not with bulls in the arena. But when he was four years old, there were bulls in the arena. And so Jake was out there. At 14 years old, when Tina and I were in Colorado, he was fighting bulls for a bull riding clinic. And his parents asked us if we wanted to come and watch. And of course we said yes. So we went and we were sitting up in the bleachers and Mike was sitting right next to me. Davelin, his mother, who is an accomplished Christian author today. Davelin was shooting pictures of Jake as he was out in the middle of the arena doing what he does. Well, on one particular ride, the cowboy got hung up and he was being ragdolled across the top of that bull, just flipped back and forth. The other two bullfighters were trying to get him loose. It was Jake's job to keep the bull distracted, 14 years old. Jake ran up and slapped this bull as hard as he could. I mean, just slapped this bull right in the face. And that bull turned his attention to Jake while the other two bullfighters got his hand unhung and they got him loose. Well, as soon as they got that cowboy loose, that bull took off after Jake, who was standing right in front of him. Jake turned around and ran for the fence as fast as he could, grabbed hold of the top rail, and he did a flip out of the arena just as the bull slammed into the fence behind him. I'm sitting right next to his dad. I died a little bit watching Jake do this. Mike, sitting right next to me, said, did you see that? Did you see that? How could I miss that? And I'm thinking, I died a little bit. You must have as well. And Mike said, he did that perfect. That was perfect. Did you see him run up there and slap that bull the way he did and turn that bull's head back towards him and get the bull to stay focused on him? That's exactly what Jake was supposed to do. He was perfect. Right there, he was perfect. Mike was celebrating his son. I, of course, thought he's nuts. But he's celebrating his son. That's what God does for us. That's what God does for us. It is that same type of exuberance. It's the same type of exuberance you might hear from a preacher when he says, my little black dog did a cannonball into a covey of grouse. I was so excited. I couldn't even shoot. I was so excited. It's that same type of thing. God is exactly like that with us. When something good happens in your life, it is God that's saying that was perfect. That was perfect. God exults over you with singing. There's a song that he sings over you. I know that sounds kind of out there, but friends, that is in Scripture. That is in Scripture. As you are realizing your hopes and your dreams, God is there celebrating you. He is applauding you. As he sees the victories of your life, he is applauding you. As much as we picture God wrapping his arms around us in moments of sorrow, we have to picture God clapping in moments of joy. That's how involved he is in our lives. And that's how he loves us. As a father or a mother would love their children and support them, God does the same with us. Doesn't that change your view of what's happening in heaven? It should. It should. God is that involved in your life. He is your biggest fan. 
And He's behind you, helping you. He is doing things to help you succeed. Trust that. We pray about that all the time. But when it happens, God's there saying, way to go. Way to go. I'm so excited. Begins in salvation, that celebration does. Again, don't believe me. Pay attention to the Bible. Let's go to the Gospel of Luke together. Luke chapter 15. Verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. That's, that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like in salvation. Why do we allow ourselves to believe that that type of celebration stops after we walk out of the baptistry? It continues on with God celebrating his children all the way through. We begin a walk with him that's very close and very personal in salvation. And God never loses interest in us. Not ever. I want to stop there for just a second and, and take a term that we hear all the time, but but sometimes we minimize it, and we shouldn't. Our walk with God. Do you know what it means to walk with God? Have you ever really thought about it and, and explored that, what it means to walk with God? We've talked about it at Libby Christian Church in the past, and we probably should talk about it more than we do. To walk with God is to have relationship with Him. I'll show you where the term comes from. It was pioneered by a guy in the Bible. If you go back to the book of Genesis with me one more time, shows up all the way back in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 5, in a unique man's life that we know very little about, but we know a lot about. I know that sounds strange. I'll show you why I can say that. This is Genesis chapter 5, verse 18. When Jared had lived 160, 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived, after he had fathered Enoch, 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah a hundred years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. I'm sorry, Methuselah, he lived 300 years. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Some translations of the Bible say Enoch walked with God and was no more. He is this mysterious person in the Bible. That's everything that we know about him. Right there. That's everything that we know about him. 
There is a pseudepigraphal book called the Book of Eli that we get great insight. In fact, it's quoted two different times in the New Testament, the Book of Eli, but it is not part of our canon of Scripture. It's known as a pseudepigraphal book, and it is still authoritative, but it is not inspired. So if you ever read the Book of Enoch, don't believe that it belongs in the Bible, though some people would tell you it does. It is, however, quoted in the Bible. From Enoch, we get interesting insights in his book. But what we know about him in all of its mystery is that he walked with God in such a way, in such a way that there was no funeral in his life. There was no sickness. We don't know about the struggles. We have to assume they were there. But when the Lord wanted to bring him home, he brought him home miraculously. He walked with God and was no more. He walked with God and then was not. He was just gone. There was an obvious closeness with him. Enoch was doing that during a time when everyone else was walking away from God. Enoch was walking with him. As did his son Methuselah. Enoch was walking with God closely. Now here's how you might picture that. Imagine that you have a fire burning, campfire burning in your backyard, and you invite somebody over to just sit down with you, and it's just the two of you, and you get a chance to to visit with them, and you're laser-focused on that person. You're getting to learn all kinds of things about them, and the, the conversation just flows very, very, very easily. In fact, there are a few interruptions that capture both of your attention. Maybe a buck walks through the yard and you notice it first and you stop the conversation to point that buck out to the person that you're visiting with and both of you enjoy it for just a moment and then you get back in your conversation. You are synced together, lined up together in everything that you are talking about and in the building of this relationship. And then as you make your way through it, you realize that you want more and more conversations just like this, more and more experiences just like this. And so you do whatever is necessary to orchestrate those experiences, and a lifetime relationship continues, campfire relationship, where you just sit and talk with each other. You talk about the good things and the bad, the high points and the low points. The friendship becomes obvious, and it runs deep. That's what it's like to walk with God. That's the beautiful part of it. I can talk to the Lord about anything and I am synced with Him. I am synced with Him. The Old Testament prophet Amos actually understood that when he made this statement. This is Amos chapter 3, verse 3. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Now that's from the English Standard Version. I like the way the King James actually says it. Take a look. Amos chapter 3, verse 3. From the King James. It's coming. Nope, one more. Nope, Amos chapter 3, verse 3. Can two walk together except they be agreed? When we have made an agreement with God that begins in salvation to stay close to Him, then that relationship is melded together. And God will be there as your biggest fan all the way through as you are his. A.W. Tozer would actually say it like this, when that happens, we will live in a state of unbroken worship. That's just cool. Yet, way too many people bring a kazoo to the campfire 
And while the other person is talking, they blow on their kazoo. That's how we treat God. We bring distraction into the relationship. Rather than bringing connection, we bring distraction. and We blow on our kazoo and it interrupts the worship. It interrupts the relationship. It interrupts the connection. And if we can set that aside and dial in with the Lord, we will know what it feels like to have him celebrate us. We will experience it. I want to spend the next few weeks showing you some of the things that God celebrates with us and the ways that he celebrates over us. I hope you'll be here for it. I really do. But today as we close this out, I want to give you a little bit of insight into how God helps in the celebration. Why don't you open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if a son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? A lot of the things that God will celebrate in our lives are a direct result of what we ask of him. When we ask him to do something for us and God responds, the plate of celebration is set the table of celebration is set. God will join us at it. It begins, though, after salvation, it begins with you asking God for good things. And then God's ready to bring it about. And when he brings it about and you step into it, he's there to celebrate it with you. So let me leave you with this thought. What good things have you asked of God lately? What good things have you asked of God? Now, friends, I'm not just talking about spiritual things. I'm talking about practical things. What good things have you asked of God lately? Yesterday, Nick and I asked God for good things, and God responded in some pretty miraculous ways. And at the end of the day, we celebrated what God had done. What good things have you asked of God lately? That's where the celebration will become very visible and tangible for you. So start asking God for good things. Keep a list. See what God does. But always remember to join God in the celebration. Stand and pray with me, will you? Father in heaven, thank you for proving to us through your word how much you love us. Thank you for showing us through your word what relationship with you looks like. Thank you for being our fan. Not just creating us, but being our fan and celebrating us. I pray, Lord, that we will hear the celebration loudly. I pray, Lord, that we will consciously open our ears to do so.
So, Father, help us hear it. Help us experience it. Help us, Lord, join you in this celebration. So would you, would you, Father, allow us moments where we hear you singing, where we hear you exulting, and will you remind us to stay close always so that we can? Will you remind us that you'll always be faithful to do the things that you have promised? We just need to do the same. Be faithful in the things that we have promised, in the agreement that we have with you. Lord, let that be the case. Ask it in Jesus' name. I ask it with great faith. I ask it not only on my behalf, but on the behalf of everyone that is here today. I pray that we will see this truth very quickly. In Jesus' name, amen.